money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now, we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome, Welcome to Tilly, Tilly Money. Kate Munnings has become intrinsically involved in the Australian healthcare system from day one. Kate's experience is impressive with stints managing over 72 hospitals or championing technology in healthcare. But Kate has now turned her attention to fertility and IVF and is at the helm of Virtus Health Group, the largest IVF provider in Australia, Ireland and Denmark. I fear not trying more than I fear failure and that's driven me my entire career. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Kate, welcome to Tilly Money. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure so, to be here. It's so lovely to have you here and I know that we're going to have a very interesting conversation because of all the things that is so human, it's about fertility and reproduction. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll get in, it's just our basic drive, but we're going to somehow or other wrap that around money as well, <laughs> as well, Kate, but we'll do it between the two of us, I know that. Um, you've had an um, impressive career. I said that in the intro. I have been reading um, up about you and... I can tell a little story. Um, I was looking at you, your photos online and trying to get a feel for you and reading and Claire had produced um, research for me and great questions. And then I came out to meet you in our foyer and your, um, one of your people, one of your staff, your marketing person um, came with you and I thought, my goodness, you look different. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was pleased to know that you were in the ladies. And I was, you, you I was indeed. Yeah. But welcome. Um, you have had an impressive career. Um, you were COO of Ramsey Healthcare. I think you were um, at a very, very senior executive level at Transfield before yep. that. And, yep. uh, and now you're CEO of Virtus Health. So That's right. You've got a lot to tell us about leadership, I think, if not today, at, at some stage as well. But today, let's focus on you. Wind the clock back just a little and tell us, Kate, where did you get your start? Well, I started my career as a registered nurse. It was in the 1980s. And at that time, AIDS was an emerging um, issue and condition. And mm -hmm. uh, and I made the decision to uh, apply to be one of Australia's first AIDS nurses. So mm -hmm. I, and I was accepted into that role. And that was such a challenge. Mm. It was a real challenge. Mm. It was a new disease. Mm. There were a lot of ethical issues that mm. we were grappling with. Um, a lot of deeply personal, you know, challenges for our patients. Mm. And so I spent about uh, about four or five years working in that in that industry. Mm. And that sparked an interest in the ethics and mm. 
as a result, I applied to do a law degree. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. So you had a bit of a change from nursing to the legal field. Yeah. I'm a solicitor by profession. So oh, you, really? Yeah. You, yeah. you became one of, one of my... Well, I went from the most career. loved profession yes, as a nurse yes, to one yeah. of the least loved professions <laughs> right, as a lawyer. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, But... Um, yeah, people don't like lawyers and then they're scared of dentists. There's all these connotations around different professions. But So you made that um, transition into the law after obviously doing amazing work with um, with AIDS. Yeah. In some way, what we're going through with COVID, I would imagine, I mean, it has different issues around AIDS, but very much a, um, a, um, a virus or a disease that people, you know, are extremely frightened by and yeah. socially affected by. Yeah, well, absolutely. Mm. And it was, you know, it was a particularly frightening time. Back yes. then it was the Grim Reaper. There Goodness were lots of yes. stories. Mm. And there were lots of, you know, unknowns, just like there is with COVID. With COVID. Like, mm. you know, what do we do if mm. we um, know a patient is not is keep, is keep not disclosing their condition mm. and putting others at, at risk? Mm. And, you know, so it was a very, it, it, you know, there, there are some parallels I mm. think um, I think the the fact that it's a virus is you know something you, there's no antibiotics for viruses yeah, right. yeah. they can only be treated through you know sort of managing the symptoms and yes. that's really challenging for the human psyche you yeah. know we want a cure yeah. um, and we think medicine should provide us with a cure yes. so mm. yeah it is interesting sort of having worked started my career in a mm. pandemic and now uh, my first CEO role is leading an organisation through a pandemic. So yes, yeah, you've done a real, real three sixty. Yeah. There. So, you what really motivated your return? So you're in the law, and then you came back. Well, I was, to the health industry. Well, I was in the law. I I went to Clayton Utes because they were doing the uh, a a large case, and they needed a lawyer who understood the phys physiology wow. of sexually transmitted diseases, right. and there weren't many of us around. Yeah. So I went into, um, I thought, I did a law degree thinking I'd work for the Prostitutes Collective or go into mm. health policy, mm. and I ended up um, becoming a corporate construction specialist. So mm. I was a contract lawyer specialising in construction law. I was a partner at Cause Chambers, Westgarth and Baker McKenzie, mm. and it was very interesting. I think one of the things I brought into that environment of private legal practice was some of the things I learned in nursing. Like I literally went into the corporate world and brought with me um, a bedside manner. Mm. I knew from working in health that you could achieve much more with trust and cooperation. And you may recall the law firms in the early 90s, mm. it was very dog eat dog, oh. the individual contributor, mm. doesn't matter about behaviours. Mm. Um, and I took a very different approach mm. and, and that, that, that probably, I believe, led to the success I had in private practice. Mm. I then went to Transfield Services because mm. I um, I actually didn't like being a partner. Mm. A partner was a sole practitioner sharing overheads, mm. whereas being a part of an executive team, I like working in, in a team. Yeah. And so I joined Transfield originally mm. as a general counsel and company secretary. And then really as every opportunity came up that was outside my comfort zone, mm. I put my hand up to do it. Mm. So after the GFC, I took on risk management um, an internal audit. Um, I took on commercial management and media and comms. And then they were looking for a head of operations. Mm. They had a lot of large, complex government contracts and mm. they were looking for a head of operations. And um, while I'd never run a P&L, I put my hand up to mm. run that, that business. And managing. I wrote a submission as to the relevant experience I had. Mm. I had no direct experience, but I wrote a submission as to the relevant experience I 
put in my application and three months later the managing director called me in and said, be careful what you wish for because so, <laughs> yeah. you've got it. And, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And that was hugely challenging. And yeah. that's really how I moved into operations. Mm. I ran that business for a few years mm. um, because it was government contracts. I ended mm. up doing a lot of Senate inquiries and so – and. Um, you know, healthcare being heavily regulated, that caught the attention of Ramsey mm. and I was approached to take their COO role. So mm. again, another challenge. Mm. Having never run a hospital, um, having only been a nurse on the floor, I suddenly was running 72 hospitals yeah. and had to lead and learn at the same time. Yeah, well, you sound like you did it. Because two things I'm starting to feel I know about you already, Kate, <laughs> is that one, you like challenges. Absolutely. And two, you're not afraid putting yourself front and centre for something. I fear not trying mm. more than I fear failure. Mm. And that's driven me my entire career. Mm. Because a lot of people, and maybe we generalise and say women in particular, that they fear failure yeah. and they don't put themselves forward whereas you're there at the forefront. In some ways, legal training can help you there. Um, I get a feeling that you have the same philosophy as me in some ways because the adversarial nature of law, it can suit some people, but it certainly didn't suit me. Yeah. Um, that I like, and we'll, we'll pick this up later too, I like mediation. I, like, I don't like this, you've got to have a winner or a loser. And the unfair part of law is that sometimes the person who wins isn't the person in the right. That's right. That's and the system, isn't yeah, it? it's the system. But at least with mediation, there is some ground, common ground where there isn't a winner or a loser outright. But, but I'm sure we can, we can take that thing Absolutely. up when, when we talk about those issues either today or later on. But let's get on to your specific role, you know, as CEO of Virtus Health. Tell us about the cost factor that comes into health. Kate, you know that, yeah. that planning, do you feel we operate from a mentality where we actually understand how important our health is? I mean, we can talk about money and having assets like shares and property and, and, uh, and whatever, but really our number one asset is our health. Well, everything else is irrelevant. Is irrelevant then if you don't have yeah. it. Do people, do you think people factor in a cost? Like if you were doing a budget, do you think that people would have a line item for health? Well, private health insurance and yes. the affordability debate around private health insurance has probably brought that up. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of the big issue in private, the private health sector, the private hospital sector has been young people dropping out of private health insurance, yes. not seeing the value proposition mm. in it and mm. not valuing their health. Mm. Um, some self-insure, they believe that they can get better value by self-insuring mm. for if they need um, some sort of uh, surgery rather than waiting for the public system. So by self-insuring, you mean putting, putting money, money away aside. rather yes. than paying an insurer yeah. and, and having conditions and exclusions, putting money away mm. um, on a progressive basis. Mm. And my, my nephew's an example. He was in his early 30s and he decided he would rather invest a sum of money mm. um, and he did that. And then when he needed a knee replacement from you know a football injury, he was mm. able to pay for it himself mm. and get it at a private hospital with his mm. doctor of choice mm. quickly mm. rather than have to be debilitated for a period of time. Mm. So I think that that I, I've always been surprised when people and, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of one of these, you'll go and spend a fortune at the beautician, but when it comes to your actual health, you're sort of outraged at the cost. Mm. And mm. the fact is healthcare is expensive. Mm. Um, when I think, uh, you know, the sort of 
one of the the affordability of healthcare for the entire community is a big issue mm. because the cost of providing healthcare and the quality of healthcare that we expect in this country, mm. um, the cost of doing that is more than we can ask people to pay. Mm. So that's not a sustainable um, future. Mm. So something has to change. Mm, definitely. Well, I mean, even we're not, you know, going to totally concentrate on all the things you need to do to look after your health. We're going to be very specific with what you do at Virtus Health. <laughs> yeah. But even, I mean, we all know how important our teeth are and how many people consider that we should even be factoring in looking after our teeth, you know, and putting... Yeah. Money aside to make sure because so many diseases and problems start in the mouth. You know, and well, there's more germs in the mouth than any other yeah. place in the body. And um, and our bodies and especially our teeth mm. are not designed to live as long as we do. Yeah. You know, they're not evolution mm. um, has not caught up with um, what science has brought us as far as longevity mm. is concerned. So our bodies do deteriorate before we um, while we live mm. longer. So if we don't put money away, uh, the quality of life at the, at our la- in our later years will be very poor. Mm. Well, we're going to have to do two things, I think, here, Kate, is one is we're going to have to adjust our budgets that we've been doing at Tilly to make sure that money's included there. Yeah, but, you um, can prevent a lot. And I think that's one of the things, if we were going to be smart about um, the cost of health, prevention is the mus- much more cost-effective than cure. Yeah. Uh, so if we actually invested in prevention, actually got our teeth cleaned, yes. we wouldn't have to spend as money as much money on you know remedial work, which yeah. is far more expensive, like yeah. um, uh, implants, things like that. Yeah, so true. You know, it's funny, let's... Let's specifically talk about one aspect of health, and that's about looking after our reproductivity. Yeah, um, which is something that, in a world as we, you know, we're on this planet basically to reproduce and you know get the whole planet, you know, cycling in um, you know, in growth. You know, so even though we might be overpopulated, that's probably one of the one of the reasons we, you know, we really are here is to um, repopulate. But we also work long hours. Um, particularly with women, um, I remember a couple of my friends years ago, you know, they got into that difficult reproductive age of the 40s and, uh, and one of them said once, she was a very funny lady, she went, oh, I forgot to have a baby, you know, and life goes fast and we're building our careers and reproduction problems can occur. Tell us about what you've learned about the f- fertility area for men and women. This yeah. isn't just a female thing, Absolutely I would imagine. Absolutely not. Fifty mm. percent of fertility issues are, are, mm. are related to the male partner. Mm. Uh, well, it's, it, it's been eye-opening for me as well. Mm. Like I had not specialised in fertility before joining Virtus, so I've had a steep learning curve. Mm. And one in six um, couples experience infertility. Mm. It's, I think, one of the, I think it's the fifth largest chronic disease in the US, for mm. example. It's it's a major issue, and it's not just about um, delaying fertility, de- delaying childbirth. Mm-hmm. Although age is a really key mm. factor mm. Um, in in infertility mm. and challenges with having children, and that's both for men and women. Mm. In, in you know, the, in the past, it always seemed women worried about the biological clock, mm. but men should be as well. Mm. Um, sperm counts reduce. Um, there's some studies in, uh, that indicate that. Um, Autism and those type of conditions are more prevalent in older fathers. Mm. So there's there's reasons for both um, mm. both partners uh, to be concerned about their mm. fertility. So it is it's a very fascinating area, and of course now there's this emerging um, opportunity. Mm. 
that gives women choice by egg freezing. Mm. Um, you can preserve eggs at mm. a younger age. Mm. Uh, so if you want to have children later in life, you're still able to because mm. that's the big issue. Egg quality deteriorates with age. Mm. And do you see a lot of um, couples or individuals taking this option? It's it's mm. an emerging sector, mm. so we are seeing it more. Where what we are, what we what I have seen actually, my daughter's 25 mm. so she's got friends whose workplaces mm. offer to pay for egg freezing mm. so as to give them choice so it's becoming it an takes employer away for them an employer might see it as a way of staff not worrying about the fact that they want to have children and That's they right. know that they have a little bit you know more flexibility there yeah mm. yeah and I hear young people talking about having frozen your eggs puts mm. takes away the pressure on the relationship mm. you know you get um to 35 and you meet someone and suddenly you're thinking you know, the biological clock impacts the way you mm. interact and deal with that relationship. If you don't have that pressure, mm. you might be a better partner. So mm. there's all sorts of social issues that are um, giving women more choice mm. to manage their fertility. And and that's what, you know, I personally believe in for women in their health, that they should have choice. Mm. Um, and that's certainly um, important to me. Totally. Because there's another issue too, I totally agree with the choice. And I um, I totally believe, and you know, the team at Tilly Money as well, part of the reason why we've developed this platform is that we believe that financial independence is not there so you can be greedy and rich. It's all about um, when oh, you're yeah. financially comfortable, you have choices Absolutely. that you don't have. But, but getting back to eggs and sperm, um, just for a minute. <laughs> Which I talk about every day now. Yes, I bet you do, and it's going to be on my mind for the rest of the day. But I guess as well, you know, as I'm listening to you, Kate, is there? A, it's almost like the egg freezing or indeed the sperm freezing. Yep. It's almost like an insurance policy. And I'll put this question to you, not, not just because you want to work longer, because I guess that that in a way sounds like, you know, when you first hit it, what are women doing, you know, like, but it's a good thing. But when you first hit it, it's a new thing. But it's a way also too maybe that you see it as a way of insurance because there's such an increase in testicular cancer around young men, for example, around the age of 34 is when men, young males tend to get testicular cancer. That could mean that you can't have kids. But if there was an awareness there, you could be in a car accident. There could be so many things that could happen to you that it opens up an ability of I'm not faced with this infertility problem because I've at least seen that the risks in life are many, that that could be a way of taking that pressure away from me if something did yep. inadvertently happen. So Yeah, and look, to be honest, that's true. So... Um life is uncertain so it takes or it it, mm. it preserves your choice to have children if if the uncertainty prevails mm. but when it comes to like I don't think that women should feel any sort of well this is my personal view any sort of judgment about if they actually want career to be oh, no, no, no. a I part of you. their yes, a part yeah. of their life mm. I know um the politics of motherhood mm. is something that I really wish we could mm. you know work through because mm. I know when I was um you know when I was a younger person I was a mother um I had financial um independence Mm. so I was able to leave a marriage that wasn't working Mm. but the judgment that was placed on me because I was I Mm. wasn't married 
I, I worked full time mm. and I had a child. Mm. You know, it was everyone predicted this child was going to be a drug addict, you mm. know, and mm. I'd drop her off at kindergarten. Mm. You'd get all the judgment. Like we should all just respect each other's um, choices because I yes. knew yeah. for me that I was going to be a better mother mm. because of uh, because I worked. Mm. That was my, that mm. was me. My friend, I had really close friends who were going to be a better mother by not working. Mm. So I think the, um, I think if we could all be a bit kinder to each mm. other and respect each other's choices, that, that would really help some of these issues. Oh, without a doubt. I guess like anything that's new that's presented, it's people, it hits people, but with explanations that, that you've just made, it, it does. It's yeah. absolutely, and it can take that pressure because it is a pressure for women it to is. be in the workplace, to earn money, to have superannuation, you know, that when am I going to have this baby? As I said, I've had friends who've yeah. said, I forgot to have a child. I mean, they were half joking, but the years slip by. They do. And, uh, and that can be worrying. But if someone is faced with infertility, I would imagine... I see almost like this whole thing about reproduction and fertility, Kate, yep. and maybe you could explain more to us. It's almost like a line, a spectrum. So someone is totally infertile. Um, that, But there are people who then just may be having problems with their cycle or with reproducing. And when you approach, say, someone or, you know, Virtus Health, Take us through the different kind of things because I would imagine that not every person that seeks fertility assistance is infertile. Yeah, it's just that's that they right. may be having challenges yep. initially and eventually it might end up being IVF, but that doesn't mean that everybody that comes there ends up that's right. As IVF. Mm. Our fertility specialists are also obstetricians and gynaecologists. So that's it's a long haul to be a fertility specialist. You do your general medicine, you become an obstetrician and gynaecologist, mm. and then many of them do a, sub, a further specialty um, in fertility. Mm. And so they can, you know, some of the reasons for infertility are um, gynaecological. Mm. So they, those can be those conditions can be treated, yes. or there can be steps taken to treat those conditions. Um, they're environmental, as you say. You know, uh, cancer treatment mm. is a bit. We we have a very large fertility preservation service. Mm. So for people who are going to have um, treatments for, for for cancer that could impact their fertility, we mm. provide that service mm. um, to, that preserves their fertility. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, I guess options that. Your, the fertility specialists go through with their patients to try and um, find the the best and most personal way based on that patient's characteristics to achieve their goal mm. of pregnancy. Now, that can be a tragic journey for some mm, yeah. and some don't achieve their dream mm. of a child. And then there's other opportunities mm. that have to be considered like adoption and other, mm. other options or, or just feeling content with... Um, not having, you know, finding another way, mm. another avenue to um, care for mm. for others. So, so we, you know, it is a you underestimate. I I think many people underestimate the emotional turmoil mm. of the fertility journey for our for the people we care for. Mm. Um, it is it is very significant, and uh, providing that emotional support is super important to us. I can imagine. I mean, the work that you're involved in is absolutely miraculously and and science work. is moving forward. Yes. Like like things are changing all the time, mm. and we uh, invest quite heavily and and are going to do so more in research and development and research and innovation. Mm. You know, there's a lot of um, 
technology, and that's something I'm pretty passionate about, mm. a lot of technology that can actually uh, now, today, like artificial intelligence, um, can provide insights from data that mm. can improve uh, success rates for pregnancy because mm. they augment clinical experience with um, with insights that a human couldn't get from the massive data sets that mm. an organisation like ours has. Mm. So technology, I think, will improve outcomes and that's what we're investing in, the research and the innovation that will improve success rates and, and give us more information on what we can do to mm. help people achieve their dream of having a having a child. Oh, it's just the most amazing area that you work in, Kate. And I say that from first-hand experience because someone very close to me um, did have very invasive testicular cancer. And like you see you see this couple, they are the most beautiful parents yeah. and for them not to it 30 years ago, probably the chance of them ever having a child. I mean, it would have just been the saddest thing on the planet because they wanted all they really wanted was to be parents. And through the IVF, I mean, we look regularly at a miracle. Yeah, and, you do. And that's what it is. IVF's only been mm. available for 40 years. It's it's a, it's a only been recognised, I think, in the US as a disease for two years. Mm. It's new. There's mm. a lot of... There's a lot more we can do and a lot more we are doing. Um, and the other area that IVF is um, becoming... An opportunity for people um, is in genetic conditions. So mm. we're now able to do a very scientifically validated test mm. that uh, determines whether you're a carrier of a particular genetic condition. Mm. And then we can um, offer, if you are, and mm. there's a risk you'll pass that to your child, mm. we can offer IVF and uh, test the embryos and uh advise you on the embryo that's most likely not yeah, to have that condition. Genome. So disease avoidance is another mm. uh, opportunity for IVF rather than in addition to infertility. Mm. Uh, and so we're investing heavily in genetics, which mm. is, again, an area of science that's um, progressing at lightning pace. Mm. Amazing. I keep saying the word amazing because <laughs> it is. I mean, oh, I, think... I find it amazing. I yeah. honestly, you know, every day, I, like I'm... I bounce into work because it's you know you're learning something you're you're it's it, you feel like you're making a difference mm. and the more we um, the more we can build on that the more people we can um, help achieve their dream. Oh, without a doubt, you know, and I regularly hold this baby that I, having not met you until today, I regularly hold this baby and I just think you know what an amazing thing science is because yeah. without science this little gorgeous little creature would not be on this planet and making me endlessly smile yeah. and, you know, bringing such love. So it is it is miraculous. There's no other word for it. And I, having said all that emotional stuff, I don't really want to get cold and clinical, but how costly is all of this? Um it is it is a cost um mm. I, there's there's an out of, there's a what call what's called a medicare safety net so yeah. there's an out of pocket cost cuz to provide ivf is not cheap no. you need a lot of labs mm. a lot of scientists a lot of equipment the um the the clinical part the what the doctor the doctor's role is then um, supplemented and and complemented by the role of the scientist. So the the actual embryo is made by the embryologist, mm. created by the embryologist. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of equipment, a lot of technology needed to actually deliver a baby through IVF. So there is a there is an out of pocket cost. Um, 
and that is supplemented over time with a Medicare payment. Mm. So Medicare supports that payment if you have to have multiple cycles, which mm -hmm. often you do. Uh, so it is expensive, but what I'm finding, and my my uh, stepdaughter had IVF, and mm -hmm. what she chose, it's not, it's sort of parallel to the out-of-pocket costs of having a baby in a in a private hospital. Mm -hmm. So what we find is people choose to fund the IVF and mm -hmm. then have a have the baby in the public system mm -hmm. um, because that's where they're allocating their funds to mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. for the care needed to to have the baby. Mm -hmm. I suppose one thing that I can jokingly say is having had two um, two children. Um, I'm not surprised that there's a cost there because they cost a lot all their life. Well, but, if but you it's think not. It's what you get back. It's not. It's not it's really not, a cost issue that people consider. I would imagine. Well, if you mm. um, consider having a child, like I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars my child costs me. Um, it's <laughs> mm. not a financially no. logical decision. No. It's a decision because of what you talked yeah. about earlier. It's there's there's actually a thing called the the maternal surge. Yeah. Like we have a physiological. Um, uh, desire to have a child which is you know born from you know evolution needing the race to be preserved mm -hmm. so it is it is a real thing and if, if any of us thought logically financially you know is this a, a wise investment decision you wouldn't make it mm -hmm. uh, because it children are in, inherently expensive um, as I think that our generation of children more expensive because I know at 18 I, I sort of said to my parents I'm an adult goodbye yeah, yeah, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore they're in their yeah, 20s and 30s that, yeah. and you're still oh, oh. Uh, so so it's not a it's a decision because of the joy that children bring to families um, and so financial consideration is is there mm. um, but it's all about choices about you know do you travel overseas or do you invest in having a baby yeah yeah well at certain stages I probably want to travel but I certainly if I couldn't have my you know children um, naturally um, I certainly would be putting off going to France to well, one, I, one day have my children in France yeah. with me. Mm. When I when I had my daughter um, you know it was financially a strain mm. and I didn't have a holiday for eight years. Yeah. They're the choices you make. Yeah, exactly. You know it's mm. about it, you, you know that was and and I will never regret it mm -hmm. um and you know I've lived my life by not loving anything that can't love me back mm. so you know mm. having a Good child philosophy. yeah mm. it's sort of you know material mm. things were never that important to me so mm. um but but the you know the joy of having um children and stepchildren and grandchildren mm. is just unquantifiable oh well it's you know really what it's a circle of life it what it's what moves moves people in life. I know <coughs> friends of mine who have, as I said, put off that that date, um, and then you get to a point where they there's regret, and yeah. uh, and you can't often fix um, regrets the way you might like to. But but there are ways. We are learning are ways. about way, ways that Kate, you might have already shared this data, but um, just how how much data do you have in terms of how extensive the fertility problem is you know can you say something like one in one in six, six. Oh, one in six mm, yeah. yeah so in every they always you know people say to us in every class in every school mm. there's one baby born through IVF mm. um yeah the, it's it's one in six mm. have difficulty getting mm. pregnant mm. that doesn't mean they they don't get no, pregnant no, but, but they have difficulty. challenges yeah. there yeah. often there are many many stories where people actually you know even when um they're given advice, they actually achieve their goal. Mm, yeah, it's so true. Now let's tell us tell us more about you, Kate. Um, you mentioned that 
you were 18 mm-hmm. and you got out of home. And yep. uh, what did you know about money then at the wise old age of 18? Uh, well, for me, independence was probably more important than um, than the financial logic of it. So at 18, I could have stayed at home. My parent, I had a happy family. It wasn't, there was no reason for leaving home, but I wanted, I knew that quite rightfully, if you lived at home, you lived under your parents' rules. Mm-hmm. And being in, I was fiercely independent. Mm-hmm. So at 18, as a student nurse, I moved out and paid rent, which was probably not the smartest move mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, if I'd stayed at home, I could have done what some of my friends did, which is travel the world and mm. do things like that. But I didn't. Mm. I Independence was, um, and living by my rules was really important mm. to me. So I moved out of home. Mm. Where uh, did this strong drive come from? Was there a particular parent uh, look, or no. uncle? Well, or was it just specific to Kate? <laughs> I think, um, you know, it certainly came from my parents. They're unique. Mm. Um, my mother worked um through my childhood, even though her grandmother told her she deserved to lose her husband and children, and and um, I yeah, yeah. that mm. was that generation's view. Mm-hmm. Whereas my mother choosing to work, I really respected that, and mm. she taught and that role modelling taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my father used to tell me that education is the only thing that can't be taken mm. away from you, yeah, so, so to so value true. it, mm-hmm. uh, and so that was really impactful on me. I also was born with a heart condition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, went through a series of, to your point about medical advice, Mm. and I say this with the greatest respect to my medical colleagues, I was told initially, you know, that I would die, that I would be a runt, Mm. that I wouldn't be able to work, that I wouldn't be able to have children. Mm. And I ignored every single one of those comments. Mm. And, And I think that when you sort of... Um, and I was I was operated on in the day like today the operation I had is is you know seven day hospital stint mm-hmm. I was in hospital for you know weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and uh, it was you know early days of that surgery mm-hmm. so I think um, being told that you can't mm-hmm. and being uh, taught me to be very committed to mm-hmm. why I can mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that's driven my. Well, so I, I identify that characteristic about you about, you about <laughs> yeah. half an hour ago where I said yeah. Yeah, to me the can't means a challenge that yeah I'll show like you. pretty yeah, much so, and yeah, so every it shows, time I, it shows strongly in you Kate yeah, yeah every time I got told oh you you know you shouldn't have a baby it'll put too much pressure I was like no I'd rather die so I'm gonna do that and yeah. of course it was fine yeah. you know there was there were different there were challenges but um I worked through them and uh so that's sort of probably that those three factors you mm. know have have really influenced the the I, I guess it is drive or or a focus and and you know the willingness to you know as I said I, I fear not trying something more than I fear failure mm. and so you know i i have always looked to do what is the most difficult challenge mm. there is to do, and mm. I put my hand up for it. Mm, fantastic, and that's why you head up um, a significant company in Australia and the positions that you've had before. Getting back to Virtus Health and what's driving it at the moment, I believe that um, the company has also launched a campaign advocating for compassionate leave for miscarriages, which yes. again people underestimate the um, difficulties surrounding a couple when a miscarriage is involved. Tell us more about that. Yeah, like I, um, Tahina McManus mm. uh, is a is a director um, of this movie and mm. the producers came to us uh, to 
describe the movie and to ask if we were willing to partner with them mm. and sponsor the film. And I met when I met the team, I it was very immediately clear how committed they were to telling a story mm. that was really important. Mm. Um, I watched the movie, I watched the documentary on that Saturday and it was so moving and it really What's made me... What's the docker called? It's called The Misunderstandings of Miscarriage. Okay. It's mm. on Stan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's shortened to mum. Mm. And it's about... It told the story of a number of women's experiences with pregnancy loss, mm. um, starting with Tahina herself, mm. talking about her multiple miscarriages, mm. then other people like Deborah, Fina- Deborah mm. Lee Finesse yes. um, and other um, people who we know, mm. and then women and families who we don't know, mm. talking about... Um, pregnancy loss, early pregnancy loss, and how, you know, we're told don't speak, don't tell anyone you're pregnant because, you know, wait 12 weeks. But why? Because mm. if you actually lose a baby in that first 12 weeks, it is truly grieving. Mm. You mm. grieve. Mm. So why should you hide that mm. from all anyone you know, mm. have to go through that alone? Mm. It's sort of almost dismissing the loss mm. as not really something you should share mm. or you should disclose. So, mm. uh I felt it was important for us as, you know, a leading, the you know, Australia's leading fertility mm. service to take a, um, to be part of this conversation, mm. to support women trying to actually out, de-stigmatise yeah. um, this, mm. this issue of, mm. of pregnancy loss and mm. why we all have to sort of pretend it doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, and I thought it was just a really important story. It also made me reflect on what we do. Mm. Like if you have IVF, you have an embryo that's transferred, mm. you have your embryo transferred. So if mm. there's not a pregnancy that results in that, mm. it must feel like a loss. So yes. it's made me reflect and made us as a team reflect mm. on the services and how we can mm. improve mm. the support we give mm. to our patients who actually, you know, experience pregnancy loss. Mm. So it's made us look at our services, how can we improve the support we give, Mm. and then how do we recognise for our staff Mm. through um, calling out in our compassionately compassionate Mm. leave policy, Mm. uh, early pregnancy loss is a Mm. reason for that leave. Now, Mm. I would have been um, disappointed in any of our leaders Mm. who didn't allow a staff member to take compassionate leave for Mm. early pregnancy loss Mm. even though it wasn't written in there. Like, mm. I think that culturally that's what we would have done. Mm. But at least calling it out means it's, yes. you know, we've made it we've made it uh, acceptable for people to tell us that's why. We've tried to take away the stigma of, oh, you mustn't tell anyone. Mm. Um, and, and that was important to us. Mm. So within Virtus Health, there is the counselling Yes. Component of that. Tell us a little bit more about that. We have a really strong team of mm, counsellors mm. who support our patients through mm. the pregnancy journey, mm. including uh, those. We've got a group who um, support those who have pregnancy loss. Mm. Well, so that's what made me ask the question yeah, when you were saying that. I yeah. thought this whole experience of challenges with fertility right through to something like a miscarriage, it's such a deeply personal thing. It is, it is. And, you know, some people really want to grieve alone um, Mm. or with their family and some people value the the sort of support that the counsellors can offer. So, again, it's about personal choice. Our fertility specialists, I must say, are some of the most compassionate, beautiful people Mm. you could ever meet. So they also provide, you know, a lot of guidance and support um, for the patients who experience pregnancy loss uh, and, and sort of give them advice about when, you know, because often people, some people want to 
um, not have another cycle for a while. Some mm. people want to get straight mm. back in. Sure. So they give them the support for those mm. decisions. Mm. And we all need that kind of support during those times. I mentioned that 18-year-old Kate, you know, burst out of home, you know, yeah. so independent, fiercely looking at challenges all around the world. And um, what advice would you give to that young Kate now? And we always add, because I've been there at the young and no one could tell me anything, so no. I can say what advice if Kate would listen? Uh, I, I think to embrace the challenges. Like mm. you go, the hard times is where you learn the most. Like sometimes when you go through difficult phases at work, deal with difficult people, have big challenges, you think, oh, this is tough and, and you sort of, it, it feels really awful. But I think you learn at, through the tough times. You don't Definitely. learn through the good times. No, so enjoy the good times. Enjoy yeah. the good mm. times, but embrace the tough times because mm. they make you better. Yes. Um, so I would, because, you know, some of the times while I used to uh, – look for challenge once you got in there you thought oh god what why do I do this but um and you sort of whinge and moan and you complain but actually that's where you're learning mm. so embrace it and don't and and it, you will get through it mm. I think when you're young and you meet challenge some challenges especially personal challenges you feel like they're catastrophic as you get older you realize you'll get through it mm. you know it, you come out the other side and that mm. that sort of old head on young shoulders sort of thing you can't put an old head on young sh- no, shoulders no, no. but mm. If I could advise myself back then that you do work through the challenges. Would and she have listened? No. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't Definitely have not. I wouldn't have either. You've done some amazing things, Kate, and I know that you've done courses at Harvard, you know, that you've obviously invested a lot in. You said education yeah. um, was so important on a general level, but obviously you personally value Absolutely. self-education. If you could look back and see one thing that you know that you did that was so valuable, your greatest kind of investment, doesn't matter what it is, we've had very unusual answers in this because someone even said that I got a rescue dog and that for me was so important at Mm. the time of my life. So what's something that you really see as something paid off? It might be, as I said, like you know, the time and money in a Harvard course. Tell us about that. Or there might be more than one. Oh, God, there's so many. So many. There mm. is so many. I think one experience I had, and, and my um, Harvard, going to Harvard, and then I subsequently went to INSEAD, um, they were both scholarships. Mm. So I applied for scholarships. So I, and again, you know, sort of put myself out there to to, mm. to say why that scholarship would help me in my career. So that was a scholarship from Chief Executive Women. So I can't be more grateful for that organisation's support uh, in my development because mm. I won a scholarship to go to Harvard when mm. I was um, transitioning from a functional role, from the general counsel company secretary to yep. a operational role. And then um, I was CEO at Ramsey and my mm. goal was to be a CEO of mm. a company. Mm. And, and this was a board-facing CEO, a mm. CEO, you know, in, like the role I have now. And and I won a scholarship to go to INSEAD mm. to do the Advanced Management Program, mm. which is where they literally break you down personally and professionally. Um, it's five weeks long. It's so intense. Mm. It's almost seven days a week. Mm. And they build you back. They mm. make you understand your values, not not the nice values you mm. think you've got, mm. what your real values are, mm. your drivers and blockers, mm. um, all the th- that your bro- you really learn what what motivates you mm. and what what 
prevents you from achieving your goals. Mm. And then, you know, there's the really high level strategic thinking, how to really challenge mm. yourself. How, and that experience was life changing. Mm. It was just um, indescribable. And those who have gone there after me, who've won the same scholarship, mm. I, I say to them before they go, it'll be life changing. When they come back and they say, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just, and the people you meet, mm. like there were, I was spent five weeks with 80 79 others from 32 different countries so mm. the growth in just mm. those people mm. the cultures all mm. the sort of dip yeah that kind of exposure oh. and even broadening your circle yeah mm. it's mm. just been amazing and mm. when I got my role at Virtus it was you know I started mm. in the heart of the pandemic so that was highly you know intense I get my first CEO role and mm. we're in a pandemic and the entire economies being shut down uh the people I called were the people I went to INSEAD with mm. and people gave me advice I had a colleague you know someone who was worked at a bank and I had to go and negotiate with the banks and he gave he said here's what you need to think about mm. um so that network and that support you get from you know that sort of community um, and that shared experience is really valuable. Mm, so so valuable. Mm. there's been many, many personal and professional um, things, but that's one that sort of stands out. Yeah, very important one. We can't put you on a soapbox, um, say in Hyde Park here in Sydney, and to an open audience of several thousand people because it's hard to socially distance that number given what's going on here. But let's say I could put you on Zoom, Kate, oh, and I could open up an audience Women, all women, many, many thousands. What would you say? Get on your soapbox, and I know you're not afraid of a soapbox. Get on your soapbox, and what would you say to women about their health? Uh, um, I'd say I, I think it's back to prevention. Invest mm. in preventing conditions. Put, you know, women traditionally put themselves last. Mm -hmm. Um, women make 80% of healthcare decisions. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting that healthcare markets often to men, but it's really should be, yeah. you know, women make the healthcare decisions for the, for the family or for mm. the household. Um, so I think it would be about um, put yourself first because, frankly, if you're not healthy, if, you're, if you can prevent uh, conditions happening, you're far better able to um, look after those that you um, that you care for. Um, so it's often that, that that women care for others and therefore put themselves last. So mm. I think invest in prevention. Mm. Uh, that's far far more effective than cure. And think of yourself because unless you unless you're healthy, you can't you can't support others. That's mm, so. so true. Good advice. I'm going to get you on your soapbox more often, Kate. <laughs> but now, now it's time for our rapid fire lightning round of oh, questions. Oh. So all you have to do is one or two words, or you can have a lot, but I'm going to shoot these to you. I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think, but the first one is, I won't rest until... Fertis is the best assisted reproductive group in the world. Um, and I reckon that's going to be from um, to speaking with you today. But financial freedom is? Important. So important. Always invest in? Learning. True, absolutely true. The future holds? Great things. And <laughs> what's, mo what's the most important thing to me is? Um, family. Mm, true. The world needs more... Kindness. Mm, very true, very true. 
read a beautiful quote from Marcus Aurelius about kindness just yeah. the other day that at some stage we'll I'll get Claire to whip it into an article and I'll send it to you after this. But thank you. Beautiful words about the importance of kindness because sometimes you look at the world and maybe you could do with We've a bit more. We've lost it. Mm, so yeah. true. Kate, thanks for sharing your time and your knowledge with us today. It's I'd a pleasure. love to talk to you more often about this because it's such an important area of health for men and women and to understand this um, this journey of life that we go on that sometimes can be interrupted when we want to take it to that family stage so thank you so much for your That's time a pleasure. your host this week was maureen jordan thanks to ixon for our intro music and see you next time